just to echo what Christian and Julie have been saying, and I, I know that you caught the heart of it, but the reality is that I, I hear some, some negatives. Two, two times of the year, I hear a lot of negatives about church that drive me nuts. Not from, interestingly, people in church, but people that lead them. One is leaders that say, I can't stand Christmas in church. I mean, how do you preach something different at Christmas? Friends, we don't have to preach anything different. We just preach the story. It stands on its own, and it's still changing people's lives. And the other thing is, people that forever bemoan folks going on holiday at this time of the year. The reality is that folks go on holiday right through the year now, from January to December. But it is the main... There you go. All right. Ken, I'll say nothing. We'll move on. All right. But... uh, but um, the reality is it is the main school holiday and lots of people are to in and fro in. But the thing is, we really don't want to be sleepy uh, just watching these weeks go by so that we lose momentum as we come into what is going to be an absolutely fantastic autumn. Uh, so we are absolutely intentional about God blessing us and ministering to us. As you can see tonight, we're impacted in a number of ways simply because at this time of the year as well, there's great camps all over the nation and people are traveling and doing all those sorts of things. But God's here, and God's been good again tonight, and again, it's just been easy to worship God, and the prophetic spirit flows amongst us as Christians led us, and we're believing for some great ministry over the next few weeks. I'm not going to be here, uh, because I'm on holiday, but, uh, you know, but every time I mention, every time I hear the word Luke now, there's a golfer called Luke Donald, and when he's doing well, everybody, it sounds like they're booing him, but they all go, Luke... I, I'd love you to do that when he gets up on that Sunday night, you know, but anyway. But, um, uh, but Luke and John are just great guys that serve local church and beyond in an amazing way. And they'll just bless your socks off over the next couple of weeks. Tonight, I want to read a verse from the Old Testament. I know it's been a hot day. It got particularly hot for me this afternoon because I've been playing football and cricket with kids that have been running around like they never run out of energy attack connect group. So it got particularly hot and then... Sp- you know, I did have a shower before I came, but, so, but in the shower out again, and straight up to Arena Mansfield, and just a great day, great ministry this morning. And, and uh, we were hearing this morning, friends, that God's doing amazing things in the earth. Some of you would have seen uh, the, uh, the, the problems with the famine in the Horn of Africa at the moment, and we are concerned about that. But God is doing some amazing things, and Pastor David Sherman this morning, uh, a friend of Arena Church, sharing of what God is doing in the Muslim world in, West, in, in East Africa at the moment in some amazing ways. And uh, appearing, how many of you know that there's a man in the glory, his name's called Jesus, and he can come and appear to anybody at any time if he wants to. He mainly does it by his spirit, one that stands and comes alongside. That's what the word comforter parakletos means. That's how he usually does it. So he's here tonight, just as if it was Jesus amongst us, by his spirit. But friends, there are occasions where Jesus appears to people. He's doing some amazing things. The risen Jesus building his church in all sorts of unlikely places. And we need just to continue to believe that God will do great things. So I want to read. uh, So in all of that, I do, as Christian was saying tonight, really want to just be an encouragement to us at the beginning of these six special Sunday evenings. And I want to read Psalm 84 verse 5 and then a few verses from Hebrews chapter 11. So one verse in the Old Testament and then a few verses in the new. So Psalm 84 and verse 5 says, Bless, let me read verse 4 as well. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. But then, blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. 
By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose, builder and architect, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, became descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and, the count, and, and as countless as the sand in the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show how they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when tested, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God would raise him from the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. In the moments that we've got tonight, friends, I want to speak about an old-fashioned word, but, but with a timeless application. It's okay to use old-fashioned words as long as we explain what they mean. And what I want to speak about for a few minutes tonight is the word pilgrimage. Blessed are those who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. The definition of a pilgrim is one who journeys. It's as simple as that. It's one who journeys. And as Christian believers... Or if you're on the journey to becoming a Christian, God has called you not to be static, not to be stuck, not to be just satisfied with where you are, but to be someone that journeys, to be someone that moves forward, to be someone that possesses all that God has destined for you for. And it was interesting in Christian's language in his prayer at the beginning of the service, he began to use that sort of language prophetically as he prayed over us. And I'll come to it later, but you are not destined for average. You are not called just to sort of muddle through. You are called to a journey. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, consider Abraham. And we're going to do that over the next 20 odd minutes. We're going to consider Abraham. That's why I read from Hebrews chapter 11. Because here's a man who opened his heart to the purposes of God. And God used him in in an amazing way. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, we find that man had turned away from God. But then God finds a man who would respond to him. And if you get time during these summer weeks, I suggest that you read from Genesis chapter 12 through to Genesis chapter 25. Clearly we've not time to look at all of that tonight. Because you will see a man who is committed to being a pilgrim. Someone that gives himself to the journey that God has laid out. Someone that obeys the Lord. Someone that serves the purpose of God. At the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, we read that God says on five occasions, I will over his servants. And do you know, friends, that when God speaks an I will over you, he is going to do it. His word will not be annulled. His word will not return to him void. His word will not... 
lay dormant. It may not happen straight away. And that's when we fall into the trap. David Sherman had a throwaway line this morning of someone that God spoke to 28 years ago about something that he's doing now. Well, why didn't he do it the day after he told him? I don't know. It's probably to do with his character and the process and his ability to deal with what he's doing now. So that what God gave him to do didn't wreck him, but it was he's able to absorb it. I don't know. But we live in this instantaneous word, world. God gave me a, a word on Sunday night. It must inevitably be operative by 12 o'clock Monday morning. It doesn't work like that. But if you are living with an I will over your life, God will do what he says. And I'm living with I wills over my life. And they're unstoppable, friends. They're unstoppable. As we continue to stay close to God. And so God begins to speak to Abraham. And reveals that out of him, he's going to bless him in an amazing way. So that his descendants would be like the stars in the sky and the sand upon the seashore. Let me declare myself straight away, friends, that I don't believe that God was just speaking about a nation. I I believe that right there in Genesis, God was speaking about his redemptive purpose that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us at the end of Galatians chapter 3, that actually, when we become believers in Jesus, we actually also become of the seed of Abraham by faith. Because we're all inheritors of that amazing promise. He wasn't just seeing a nation, he was, receive, he was seeing the redeemed community of the Lord down the generations of time that become the unstoppable force called the church. And God, friends, he's still committed to that journey today. And in these moments that we've got, our time is limited. It seems like when, when the writer of the Hebrews came to be talking about Abraham, he also recognized that his time was limited. And he thought, well, I've only got 40-odd chap, 40 verses. I mean, it weren't verses in those days, but I've only got 40-odd verses to get all these people in. So he got a snapshot of Abraham's life, the heart of a pilgrim. And friends, over the history of time, many men and women have followed the understanding of being pilgrims, people who journey. Interestingly, when people went from this nation to another nation, they were called the Pilgrim Fathers to establish a new day, a new adventure in their life. People that journeyed. I'm not talking necessarily about that, and I'll come to it in a moment, but I'm talking to every one of us now to commit ourselves afresh at the beginning of this summer season, and as we journey into all that God has got over Arena Mansfield, so I want to tell you, friends, those guys at Audacious Manchester, they're great guys, but they're no better than anybody here. And the people in their church are no better than people here. And it doesn't always rain in Mansfield, but it always rains in Manchester. So we've got a lot of things going for us. And I tell you, whatever God did there, he can do here. Because people are saying, wow, isn't that fantastic? And we want God to get all the glory to say, wow, isn't that fantastic? What he is doing in the town of Mansfield. But why has it happened? One of the reasons it happened is because people have committed to a journey. They've committed to set their hearts on pilgrimage. You meet Glenn Barrett, you meet Stuart Keir, they're not static sort of people. They're on a journey. They're moving forward, they're advancing. They're possessing all that God has possessed them for, and they're going to go for it. And God is moving in their lives. And so we come to the beginning of this holiday season, and my mind got uh, moving and thinking about that, the first of the six sizzling Sunday evenings. And uh, I thought, you know, when we go on holiday... We have to take some luggage with us. And uh, tonight, I'm going to give you five pieces of luggage for the trip of being 
a pilgrim. This is light compared to some of you, I know, but... So the first one's vision. The first one's vision. Believe it or not, that case is 32 years old. I know it sounds sad, but somebody brought it to us for a wedding present. We've still got it. It's been a fantastic case. Sharon's tried to put so much in it at times when she's gone on, it broke the lock off, but it keeps bobbing back up, you know. And uh, vision. Verse 10 says this. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was gripped by a vision. I'll say it again, friends. I don't believe he was looking for a literal city. I believe he saw the redeemed community down the generations of time. And prophetically, in the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms, the community of believers is described as a city. And God is building a city. He's building a city in a town. He's building a city in a village. He's building a city in a hamlet. He's building a city in a nation. He is after a city. Because he's passionate about building a city. And he wants people to be gripped with a vision of seeing a city. Of course, vision is not just the preserve of Christian believers. Albert Schweitzer had a vision in medicine. And he wanted to eradicate leprosy. Henry Ford had a vision in industry. That every family would own a motor car. Thomas Edison had a vision for invention. When people said it was impossible to make an electric light bulb, he said, I'm going to keep trying. And guess what? He made one. Martin Luther King had a vision for politics that in the greatest democracy of the world, people's destiny would not be determined by the color of their skin. And so we've got President Barack Obama all those years later. Richard Williams had a vision in sport. In the ghettos of Los Angeles, to say, I'm going to train and teach, self-taught coach, my two daughters, he had several more, to be champions in tennis. And Venus and Serena Williams came to the fore and have dominated the women's game for a decade. But Christians have got to have it. Because the Bible says that if we don't have it, we fall apart. Proverbs 29 verse 18, without a vision, the people perish. One translation says people cast off restraint. Another translation says that we fall apart. He said, oh, well, vision's for leaders. And you know what people say to Christian at times? Christian, what's your vision? And one of Christian's strong points is he is visionary. He is visionary. He sees things. It grips him. It gets him out of bed in the morning. It propels other people forward. And he's seeing some amazing things at the moment. You can hear it and he's praying. You can hear it and he's leading. And he's getting stronger, Christian. You need to keep speaking it out. But he's a man that sees a vision. This morning, we've had a man that's seen a vision over his city for years. And so we could go on. But I want to say this with with the greatest respect as a leader tonight, that he's not just the preserve of Christian leaders. Because here's the question to every Christian believer here tonight. You may have only been a believer a few weeks, a few months. Here's the, what are you seeing over your life? Because without a vision, people cast off restraint. Without a vision, that's why people become prodigal. Without a vision, that's why people get bored with church. Without a vision, that's why people say, ah, no, it's not relevant to the 21st century. But when you've got a vision, you won't dream of doing anything else. Because you see something that God wants to do over your life. So what is vision? Vision is an ability to see. And it's not determined by what pair of glasses you've got on, Glennis. Isn't that fantastic? It's an ability to see. Not to see physically, but to see with the eye of the heart. 
And Ephesians chapter 1 says that God has given us uh, Jesus Christ to open the eyes of our heart that we might see him. I want to see you. I want to see you. It's vision. An ability to see. Someone says that vision is an inspired look that leads to inspired action. And lots of Christians are inert in doing nothing because they have no vision of their life. But when you see something over your life, you'll serve the tea. When you see something over your life, you'll serve the car park. When you see something over your life, you'll turn up when it's pouring down with rain. When you see something over your life, you'll develop that gift of music. When you see something over your life, you'll get into theology so that you can be a better communicator of the word. You see, when you see something, it leads to inspired action. And the devil says over you, you're average. You're a loser. You'll never make it. You're no good. You've no contribution to make to the church. And they are all lies from the kingdom of darkness. And I want to say to people tonight, stop believing them. Stop taking them on board. Stop taking them to you. Because God says, I want you to come to a renewed place of seeing something over your life. Because an inspired look will lead to an inspired action and you will be a pilgrim. Why do we need it? I've already told us, because it's the glue that holds our lives together. And where will it take us? Well, it tells us there that he was looking forward. Vision always propels forward. Church's friends that lose a vision say, oh, it'll never be like it used to be with Pastor so-and-so. I know he's been dead 37 years, but it'll never be the same as when he was here. Oh, it'll be never the same in Mansfield. No vision. I wish we had a prayer meeting like you did at Arena at our church. You know why they've not got a prayer meeting? Because years ago they lost their vision and stopped praying. You try getting another prayer meeting when you've not prayed in a church for 30 years. Hard work. But it'll take us forwards. So vision is number one. Number two. This is for the shoes and the bags and, you know, whatever. This is the one at the airport that causes you all the problem because you put all the stuff in there that's illegal. And he goes, no. <laughs> and don't they just love to throw it in that bin? You've just spent £2.49 on that deodorant. <laughs> Straight. You know, I went to Romania once. I bought deodorant going in. They took it off me. I bought deodorant while I was here trying to come out. They took it off me. I mean, come on. <laughs> but this is the bag for all the stuff that gets you in trouble. Venture. Venture. Of course, we could put the prefix on, uh, on that adventure. Verses 8 to 9, it says, By faith, when called to go, he went to a place he would later receive as, his, his, as his inheritance. He obeyed even though he didn't know where he was going. Now, friends, that is not presumptuous. It's not getting ahead of God. It is responding to God. And friends, here's the step. The step of faith is always stepping into the question mark. The step of faith is always stepping into, well, what if it doesn't work out? Yeah. Well, what if it goes wrong? Yeah. Well, what if I get let down? Yeah, you've got to step into all of those things. A nice, cozy, western, civilized Christianity says, oh, no, I don't want that. We've got to be sure everything's going to be okay before we take a step of faith. We've got to have all the money in the bank. We've got everything sorted out. No, we haven't, friends. We've got to hear God's. We've got to hear God's. And when we hear God, we'll go forward, even if sometimes we're not totally sure where he's going to take us. We love, friends, I'm not talking about geographically here. I'm not talking about moving to another part of the world, another part of the country, maybe for some time in the future for some people. But I'm talking about spiritually. 
And when it's spiritually, then we also need to check the cardiology of our life because it's all a matter of the heart. And Western believers love to negotiate with God. Will I, will I go to the spiritual ACAS? And so God's told me this. I'm thinking that. And we sort of talk to somebody, often an unbeliever, in the middle. So what do you think? They give us advice, friends, that's not rooted in the kingdom of light. We say, we'll take it. And then wonder why we don't go forward. Need to hear God. Need to hear God. You heard this story about the man praying, negotiating with God. He says, God, how much is a million pounds to you? God said, a penny. So the man went on to say, how, much is a, how long is a million years to you? And God said, a second. The man says, Lord, give us a penny. God says, wait a second. Yeah. So <laughs> you start trying to negotiate with God, friends. There's only one winner. I've tried it. I've tried it. I've tried those times when God has spoken into my heart. I know that God has spoken. And I have approached God in prayer at a later date, trying to make out to God that he has not spoken to my heart and that we can all move on. God says, hello. What about this? And the price of preaching, friends, the price of preparing ministry, the price of the privilege of ministering to you, and Christian and me in terms of our local context and many other the leaders and ministers that I talk to would identify with it. The price is that in preparing for you at times, God says, what about you? What about you? Because whatever we're preaching, friends, we have applied it to ourselves. And sometimes it is incredibly uncomfortable. This is a friend of mine. His name's Kurt McAteer. He's my new zone leader in the central area for the Birmingham area, is an awesome guy, and he's an Aussie, and uh, I met Kirk just a few months ago, really, and I says, Kirk, where are you from? He says, it's New, Newcastle, South, New South Wales, he says, you won't know where it is, I says, he was in the airport 18 months ago, I says, we flew in to see our friends, I says, he says, where do your friends live? I says, Budgie Ward, just between S- S- Sydney and Newcastle, oh, we knew it, it was like the world went, <laughs> you know. Let me read you a little bit about Kirk, because... We can have a nice picture in re-magazine, and it's a great picture. And there's a, a nice picture of Tracy and Josiah and Ruby. And for some reason, they become Birmingham City fans. Well, you know, their, their church is right near the Birmingham City football ground. And, uh, and uh, they're just doing a fantastic job of repurposing a very historic Assemblies of God Pentecostal church in the city of Birmingham. A church that had lost, say it carefully, its vision. A church that had become confused. And this man, over the last two and a half years, has seen the congregation double and going forward. And here's a person with a vision. First time I met Kirk, I drove back up the M42 with tears in my eyes. Because of our awesome God, he never ceases to amaze me, friends. How he calls people to situations. And of course, sometimes there's a cost involved. And this is Kirk. He says, it was a two-year journey of God preparing us. But the Holy Spirit is so personal. And I know that I know, that I know, that he spoke to us. But there was also a lot of confirmation that we received from our senior pastors and mentors in Australia uh, that were saying that that particular season was up here. He says, I guess it was an Abraham thing for us. God didn't actually tell Abraham where he was taking him. He said, leave your father's house and I'll take you to a land I will show you. For us, it was a real faith step to be willing to go even though we didn't know where we were going. Once we'd taken the step to be willing, then it became clearer that it was England. 
So I think for us, the decision to be willing to go anywhere was maybe bigger than the decision to actually come to England. In January 2009, we were weighing up other offers, and I read Genesis 24. When Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac, I was reading it and thinking, what are the chances of this happening and the girl being the right one? And I prayed, God, show me which way to turn. The next day, we got an invitation to King's Christian Center in Birmingham to come over for an interview. We knew, we know God spoke, spoke to us, but then there were all the miracles along the way as well. Our house sold two days before we moved over here. We didn't have time to sell our car and we needed to drive it right up until we left. And our neighbors offered to buy it off us and let us drive it right until the day that we moved here. God spoke to our kids about the move and the visas came through ahead of time. The challenges were the challenges that you would have with any faith step. Russ Evans calls it happy scared. You've got, you're out there taking a step of faith and it's exciting, but there's still a sense of nervousness. There's the challenge of having to give up house and family and everything. See, God, in the purpose of God, got all this wonderful late 30s couple to say, I want you to come over from Newcastle, New South Wales, to repurpose this historic church in the middle of Birmingham. But the pitch is far bigger than that. All of a sudden, he bumps into me. He's like, Kurt, can I come and see you? And the guy's influence is just going to go away beyond that. Because that's what God's called him for. But it all started with a happy, scared step of faith. And we need to do it, friends. We need to do it. John Wimber said, faith is about risk. I think I know what he meant. And here's a poem. He says, to laugh is to risk looking a fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. To show feelings is to risk revealing the true self. To place your ideas and dreams before a crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk rejection. To live is to risk dying. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. But risk must be taken because one of the great dangers of life is to risk nothing. Those who risk nothing, do nothing, achieve nothing, become nothing. They may avoid suffering and sorrow, but they cannot learn, feel, change, grow, love, or even live. Chained by their uncertainties, they are slaves. They have forfeited their freedom. Only a person who risks all that he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose is truly free. And I think our Christianity sometimes, friends, is a little bit sort of how it's worked out in life nowadays. Because when I was a kid, you know, if you had a bump or a scrape, you came home and your mum says, put some German lean on, you'd be all right. But now we're trying to stop all the kids having bumps and scrapes. Oh, they can't go on the swings, they can't go on the fields. I know we've got to have a bit of wisdom, but friends, we've got to let them go and have a go. Risk a few things. They might get the ball in the face, but they've learned to play football. They might get the cricket bat round their head, but they've learned to play cricket. They'll be okay. And this sort of this sort of clinical approach to Christianity, we don't take risk. It's not the Bible. It's not pilgrimage. God's called us to venture. Moving on briefly. Number three. Gotta have the call back for the for the uh, for the beach. Values. Values. Verses thirteen to sixteen. Very briefly, it says there that they were all still living by faith, even when they died. It says that they were strangers that lived in tents. It said in verse thirteen that they'd not received the promise, but welcomed it at a distance. In other words, friends, the fulfilment of all that God was going to do was not completed in their lifetime, but it did not stop them going on the journey. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation will commend your works to another 
they would tell of all your mighty acts. And some of us get so selfish that if it's not going to happen in absolutely our particular lifetime, we're not going to get involved in it. I'd never felt more prophetically committed, friends, to cheering on an emerging generation than what I do now. That people who do things a thousand times better than I will do and reach many more people possibly than I will ever reach and there will be nobody that celebrates it more. Because we are passing on from one generation to another the mighty acts of God. You see, these people's values were not rooted by the temporary. They were established in the eternal. And someone says this, that our priorities will affect, sorry, our priorities will affect our outlook and our decisions on the immediate in the light of the ultimate. You see, pilgrims are not just determined by the now. They're not just determined by what they can see this week. Pilgrims have a glimpse of eternity. Pilgrims have a glimpse of what God is doing in the history of time. Pilgrims see that even if they don't see the fulfillment of all that God is going to do, there is coming a generation that will see all the fulfillment of what God is going to do. And if you can be a link in that purpose, you have played your parts, values. Number four. This is the computer bag. Piece of advice. Don't take your computer on holiday. You'll have to come back to those 250 emails in your inbox and deal with it. But sitting at your computer, being non-relational on your holiday when other people in your family want to rest is not what God has called you to do. Victory, verse 12. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, became descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. It was over 300 years after the death of Abraham that the nation was actually formally recognized. And the spiritual seed of that promise is ongoing and numerous. Today, friends, thousands and thousands of people have become Christians across the globe, including the three this morning at Sabrina Church Ilkeston, in responding to the call of Jesus Christ. And here's the truth. We may look at our lives at times and our circumstances And everything may seem to militate against the purpose of God. It may be that we don't feel that we are in victory. I understand that because I've been there many times. But 1 Thessalonians 5.24, which leapt out of the page during the devotional readings this week, says, the one who called you is faithful and he will And I speak victory over every person's life in Jesus' name in this church tonight. The final thing is, well, it's like a man bag. But you couldn't, I mean, for those of us that are married, you couldn't go on holiday with a handbag either. But handbags are a lot bigger than this. You know, you sort of go in and, you know, and you lose yourself. But it's one of those bags that's got everything in it. You know, the paracetamol, the wipes, all that sort of stuff. Passports. Well, you're going on a posh holiday. Yeah, passports. Valor. Verses 17 to 19. God gave an amazing promise to Abraham that seemed ludicrous at the time because him and his wife would be on childbearing age, but they would bear a son, Isaac, who would be 
a blessing of the promise. And then God said to him, I want you to go to Mount Moriah and give him to me. He says in verse 8 that Abraham set out and he didn't know where he was going. Friends, he was 75 at the time. And he said, I'm going, Lord. Whatever it costs, I'm going. I'm saying all of that because if I can use modern vernacular, this man has some bottle. And I've had people say to me in work environments and ministry environments, see, you Christians, it's just a crutch in life for you to lean on. You're wimps, you're losers. No, 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 no. No, pilgrims, friends, are courageous people. Pilgrims are like Christian that says a year ago, you know what, Phil? That burden for my hometown of Mansfield is absolutely pumping in my heart. And I think we've got a God-given opportunity to present a new vision. July the 4th, 2010, we did exactly that. Courageous Christians that show valor are, are like Glennis and Margaret and, and Sandra and Barry and, and Anne and, and Aidy and, 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 and Marnie because they sort of said, actually, it seems a bit ludicrous, all of this, and we've got a building up there, but we'll, we'll trust these guys. We'll become Arena Mansfield and, and we'll go on this journey. That, that's valor. That valor is people all across the Arena Church that sometimes come to church in pain, but continue to trust God anyway. Valerie's a young man in our church this week who said to me, I was a little bit concerned that I've been a Christian a time now, and not many people at church, uh, sorry, at work, knew I was a Christian. And so last Monday morning, I determined to open up a conversation, and I told my work colleague where I've been on Sunday, and I've been a Christian, and I love Jesus. That's Valor. And so we could go on and on. Valor is one of our young women taking a significant career change in her life at this moment because God's spoken to her to sort of minister into people that have gone through situations or will face situations that she has a particular empathy with. That's courage. And so I could go on and on. I'm not talking about audacious Manchester. I'm not talking about Planet Shakers. I'm not talking about Hillsong. I'm talking about Arena Church. Arena Church Ilkeston and Arena Church Mansfield where week after week after week people express courage in being pilgrims of the Lord. I wish I could say, friends, that being a Christian is always easy, and you will know, every one of you, that sometimes it really isn't. I wish I could say that people won't ridicule you at times because you're a believer of Jesus. I wish that some of the people that say that they're friends of yours would remain friends even when you confess the Lord. I can't guarantee any of that. But I want to encourage you tonight to be a person that would respond with a courageous heart. Like this man at 75 years of age that says, Lord, I don't know where you're going, but we're, we're going on the journey. Like this man that says, God, I thought I'd heard right and that Isaac was a promise of the inheritance, but if you're saying I've got to give him to you, I'll give him to you. A valiant response to God. In 1946, Violet Zabo was posthumously awarded the George Cross, the first English woman ever to receive that citation. She was an undercover agent that fought bravely against Nazi Germany in the Second World War and paid the ultimate price. And uh, many years later, her daughter Tanya received the medal on his mother's behalf. And uh, when, when Violet Zorba would send a code of messages back to Leo Marx, who was a, 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 her um, codemaster in the UK, uh, she would begin it by a poem. Uh, the poem was a declaration of her allegiance to a nation. But when I read this poem some time back, I thought, you know, this speaks about my heart to Jesus. This speaks about the heart of a pilgrim. The heart of a pilgrim that carries a valiant heart. And he says this, the life that I have is all that I have. And the life that I have is yours. And the love that I have 
of the life that I have is yours. Is yours. Is yours. Friends, pilgrimage is not just about going to Canterbury Cathedral, Lord's, Lindisfarne, Jerusalem. It's far more than that. Pilgrimage is about Christians in Mansfield and Ilkeston and the East Midlands and the UK that have committed to a journey. They're so committed to this journey that nothing's going to stop them. They're gripped by a vision. They've seen something. And tonight, vision is not our preserve. It's, it's the God-given gift to every one of us. You need to take an inspired look over what God sees in your life because it will lead to inspired action. They, exper- they, they, they exercise a spirit of venture that sometimes is, frankly, friends, scary, but happy scared, knowing that you're responding to God and doing his will. And friends, God will work it all out. A pilgrim is rooted in eternal values. So sometimes if we're not going to be the fulfiller of all that God wants to do, we rest in the truth that somebody is. And we're happy with that. A pilgrim is somebody that lives in victory. Even when sometimes emotionally and experientially it seems a long way off. Because the one who called you is faithful. And he will do it. And finally, friends, a pilgrim is someone that's in passion with a heart of valor. It's someone that looks down the barrel of certain things at times and says, you know what? That could get in my way. That could intimidate me. That could stop me. That could prevent me from making progress. But the life that I have is all that I have. And the life that I have is yours. And the love that I have of the life that I have is yours, is yours, is yours. And at the start of these six sizzling Sunday nights, friends, and as we continue to commit to this journey called Arena Mansfield, who knows what God can do with a committed, happy bunch of people that unashamedly call themselves pilgrims.